already. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today's the second Thursday of the month, which means it's time for Vegan Doc Talk with Dr. Scott Harrington. And today he's going to be talking about movement. Please welcome him to the show. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chef AJ. I love doing this. I love it. So you're going to talk about getting moving, getting healthy, and the science behind exercise benefits. But before you even do that, maybe this is part of your presentation. Why is it so hard to get people moving? I find that as hard as it is to get people to eat better, it's easier than getting people to develop routine exercise habits. That's at least the people I've known. Yeah, I mean, I and I've fallen prey to this. So I uh, everyone everyone goes through this, and I I think it's because of the pleasure trap, you know, like avoid pain, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> avoid expending extra energy. I mean, that's uh, just uh, some good kind of excuses that we have uh, about avoiding exercise. But I agree. I it, I think that it, with my patients, it's easier. It seems to de develop good eating habits. But then it's harder, it seems, to develop an exercise habit. So that's what we're hoping to turn around today. We're hopefully we'll uh, inspire some folks to get moving. Great. What do you do for moving? Well, lately I've been uh, I've been running. I'm practicing for a marathon, and I uh, I, I got lucky. I got lucky. My brother-in-law is interested in doing a marathon in Greece from marathon to Athens. It's, it's like a bucket list thing for him. And he was looking for a partner. And so it kind of brought me in. And so in the, in the, in the army, they only have me run two miles for the, uh, for the run test. So I would usually train for my two mile run and I would generally not go longer than maybe three miles, four miles to uh, kind of train for this event. But now I'm running more. I've already run, um, just in, in a short time, I've already run over, you know, a half marathon, just, you know, trying to get all um, pumped up for this, this run. And so it, th that's another thing. It really helps to have a goal and it helps to have other people uh, kind of bring you on board. It really, really helps. Oh, that's cool. What, what city is this marathon in? Well, wait, you know, it's the, the, it's the bucket list because it's from marathon to Athens. It's, it's like the marathon. So that's kind of, um, it it was something it's like, hey, if I do that marathon, I've done the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was Halloween. So I, I was uh, we, we were just talking lately about Halloween. I love Halloween. It's fun to dress up. And I was Ken and uh, Jennifer was Barbie. And we were kind of like the original Ken and Barbie. We had a great time. I can see that. That is great. What did you do? Did you, uh, this is what I never understand because depending on how old the kids are, the parents often have to go with them. So how can you both be trick-or-treating and handing out treats at the same time? We just left a little bowl, like, you know, to, to, you know, take candy. We, we did give candy out, you know, hard candy, but, um, you know, I, it, it's funny because this is kind of a situation where the parents like the, um, the, <laughs> Halloween more than the kids, you know, because I, I I always try to uh, have a big um, group group dress up. Like one year we were Big Hero Six, and we were all a part of the, you know, we were each one of the category, uh, each one of the characters, and uh, so everyone knows it's Dad's favorite, 
you know, uh, holidays. So we pick it and we all, we all, uh, we all dress up. My son was the, uh, Mojo Dojo Ken and, uh, my daughter was a cowgirl Barbie. That's neat. Dixie's asking, are you on a treadmill right now? I am. So, you know, we're talking about getting moving and, you know, Dr. Greger inspired me to get this treadmill, but it was, and I was using it and I was using it and I was loving it because I would get, I like to use a standing desk. So you're not sitting and I would, uh, I would walk, but it started to get squeakier and squeakier and squeakier. And I'm not very uh, mechanically inclined. So I was, you know, worried. And then finally I had to kind of turn it off when I was seeing my patients, it was too loud, but I'm glad you asked me about this because the secret to the drive belt is, is, is thus, if, if it's squeaking, you take a bar of soap and you run it under the drive, the drive um, belt a little bit. And if it slips after that, then you just use white chalk. You just use white chalk. So if you anybody has a standing desk out there, these are the two secrets. Don't use the silicone on the drive on the drive belt. Use the silicone on the on the belt that you walk on, because Dr. Harrington, not very mechanically inclined, made that mistake and has That's learned from it. That's funny. Hey, when you, you know, um, where I live now, a lot of the houses are new construction. So they have this, this ring camera, or I guess you could get it even if it was an older house, but I'm in a local Facebook group for my community. And the day after Halloween, people kept posting the videos of, you know, they would have like, you know, candy and say, take one. And they would show like these kids literally taking the whole thing that didn't happen in your community. Well, all the candy was gone. <laughs> So you don't know if it was gone by many people or what? We don't know. We don't know. But uh, you here's know. the thing. If you only want them to take one, leave broccoli or carrots, and then they'll take none. Yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. I saw something about potatoes. And, oh, yeah. I got a potato. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. So what you got for us today? Okay. Let's do it. We're going to, I'm going to shift over. I'm going to share my screen and we'll have you give me feedback to make sure that I'm doing it right. So far, so good. Okay, can you see me? Yep, I can see you. All right, for those who don't know me, I'm Dr. Scott Harrington. I'm a family doctor and lifestyle medicine doctor. I run a practice uh, that is both online and in person. You can see me online, uh, no commute. I can do labs and referrals and that kind of thing and be your primary care doctor remotely. You can see me in 22 different states. Uh, if you live in one of these states, I can be your primary care doctor. Uh, if you live in Florida and around the Tampa area, you can see me. I'm in Pinellas Park, just north of St. Pete. I take insurance and I take cash. So Aetna, Cigna, TRICARE, Medicare. And I just wanted to announce this week that uh, we are starting a new program with my practice called the Vegan Primary Care Six-Week Health Transformation. We're starting it in uh, January, kind of late January. It's going to be a six-week program with daily check-ins. Uh, we're going to have experts, experts that are going to meet with you weekly. Each, each uh, person's going to meet with you once a week, including a fitness expert, a chef, a psychologist, and stress management. Uh, and then they'll also have one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one appointments with me, with also with glucose monitoring. And we already have uh, one expert is uh, Angela Fischetti, who's going to be a part of our fitness program with this. So this is real exciting. If you want to, you can check it out at Vegan Primary Care slash weight loss. Okay, today we're going to talk about get moving, get healthy. 
the science behind health benefits. Okay, story time. So we already talked a little bit about why I want to give this presentation, but, uh, and we focused on how diet plays such a big role in your body composition. And, and so I always kind of lead with this with my patients about their, their diet. And, 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 you know, in the past, you know, people have said, well, you know, I'm, you're just overweight because you don't exercise enough. I know that even companies have kind of used this thing, well, people are lazy. So I wanted to always dispel this and talk about his diet was a primary thing. Diet is king. Diet is king. And you can never outrun your mouth. But what happens is over time, you, we live in the modern world and we have a very sedentary life and you get, you know, you can move away from exercise. And this is what was happening to me. I went from the army where they, I had some external motivators to make me exercise to a, uh, where it was kind of on my own individual motivation to start exercising and my routines were getting worse and worse. And I would say to myself, oh, I'm not a runner or I'm not a, you know, I'm not a gym rat. I'm not a, you know, uh, I wasn't a gym person. And I got a little surfboard of this picture here. You know, I'm, I, I used to like to go and I used to like to swim and surf and be, and I, I don't really live where there's waves around here where I'm living. And so my exercise would get worse and worse. And so I need this lecture too, just like everybody else. And uh, this here is the lifestyle pearls, the pearls of lifestyle. Number one is a plant-based diet, but number two is exercise. And it's nearly just as important. And if we're neglecting exercise, we're neglecting our health and longevity for sure. So it's the fifth most important risk factor for death, physical inactivity, low physical activity, under diet, smoking, blood pressure, and weight. And getting fit lowers your death rate. Where 10,000 people were followed for 18 years, those that when they did the treadmill test and found their initial uh, baseline fitness, the people that got fit died at a lower rate than the people who didn't get fit at a 40%, 44% lower rate. And their baseline fitness on the treadmill was every one minute extra improvement on the treadmill, they had 8% less mortality. So that's pretty dramatic. In terms of longevity, there are these things on the end of your DNA called telomeres and they protect your DNA from mutation. Uh, and they're kind of, the analogy is like the tips of the shoelaces uh, for your DNA. And compared to inactive people, active people had longer telomere lengths when they, when they followed them out. And so this is a sort of a microscopic, you know, marker for longevity that's telomere length. Okay, so we've got a couple of slides here as a build slide. But what this is, is when they, they did an analysis of 500,000 adults, they followed them for almost nine years. And they followed the people who met activity guidelines. And we're going to go over this. Activity guidelines, 150 minutes of moderate activity with two days a week of strength training. And so in the purple here is all-cause mortality, all causes of death. And this compares people who did not meet the criteria, and they're given a value of one, so they're all the way at the top. And the people who did muscle strengthening had 11% less mortality in the, over the time period, with aerobic exercise being almost 30%. And if you did both, it was 40% uh, less mortality. 
for cardiovascular, it was even more. Look, for aerobic, it was 35% less mortality and for both 50%. And this is cancer death, aerobic exercise, 24% less cancer death or 40% with both. And look at respiratory death. So this goes for all sort, you know, COPD, various, you know, pneumonia. This was dramatically improved. And so these are people who are meeting the physical activity guidelines. But there's also additional things that they followed in this study, including Alzheimer's disease. So all of us should perk up. Look at this. So both, if you did, if you met both the activity, the muscle strengthening and the aerobic activity guidelines, 36% less death from Alzheimer's. Uh, kidney disease down there, 48% less. So very impressive. So I would want to encourage everybody to start moving, start moving today because it's like magical medicine. It's like a magic pill. If we could just put it in a pill, right? And no matter how slow you go, you're still lapping everyone on the couch. Okay. My next study that I'm going to go over is the, I uses METS, metabolic equivalent tasks. So I just wanted to put this slide in here that it's a way that you can compare various uh, exercises in terms of their intensity and the energy that's required. So for instance, just sitting and just living is one metabolic equivalent, but walking is three to four metabolic equivalents. Uh, and then really intense activities like running or cycling, seven to 10 metabolic equivalents. Okay, so here's a study that also went over all-cause mortality, but the difference with this one is it wasn't just about the uh, recommended physical activity levels. This was a meta-analysis, and so it went over various different metabolic activity levels. So guidelines, we're gonna go over this. Activities different metabolic activity levels. So we're getting a little reverb. I think. We're going to go over this. Chef AJ, how are we doing with the reverb? Is it working out okay? Sorry about that. I, I just uh, I changed an audio setting. Okay. All right. So we're doing good. Okay. So this is pretty interesting because uh, is, is 30 minutes okay or is 60 minutes even better? Or is 90 minutes better? Well, they compared it to a 750 met minutes of exercise. So this is the first arrow, the first arrow. And this is equivalent to 30 minutes a day of brisk walking, 750 met minutes of exercise. So people who did less than that had worse outcomes of death. And so that's at the one, that's where it crosses the line. So in, after that, you had benefit all the way up to 2000 it kind of it hit a curve at the 2000 metabolic equivalent METs per minute or per week. And this was equivalent to 90 minutes a day of brisk walking. Okay, so you'll see that all cause mortality, you hit the main benefit at 90 minutes per day of brisk walking. But what you also see is that there was no harm. There was no harm seen as you get more and more and more uh, in terms of all cause mortality. So this is cardiovascular death, cardiovascular death. And what you see on this one is the curve doesn't trend back up towards, uh, towards one. The curve keeps getting better and better. So the more exercise you do uh, in terms of aerobic activity, the less chance that you're going to die of cardiovascular cause. 
So this is interesting because at 2000 minutes per week, 90, day, 90 minutes per day of brisk walking, all the way up to here, it was, uh, I think, 300 minutes of brisk walking per day to the max on here. So that's very interesting. So more is better uh, and more, There's it's not like a U-shaped curve where you have problems related to exercise. Okay, so what are the immediate health benefits? That was a long-term death, death, uh, long death and health benefits uh, in regards to cancer and long-term long -term endpoints. But just immediate health benefits are I mean, when I exercise, basically my anxiety goes away. I don't know about you, but uh, it can decrease your blood pressure. You sleep better. In terms of diabetic control, it improves your insulin sensitivity and improves your stress. So why why is it helpful? What how does it how does it how does exercise work? Like, what does it do for you? And I heard it say that that it was related to homeostasis. And this is very interesting how your body adapts. You know, your body always keeps your perfect temperature. It always keeps a perfect pH in your blood and the oxygenation. So when you stress the system, your body has to adapt. So if you exercise, you're going to create lactic acid. And the body has to deal with that. You're going to have more oxygen requirements. So the heart has to pump harder. You're going to have pain. So your body has to release endorphins so that it can numb you to the pain. And so all these things have big health benefits. Your heart, like once again, cardiac output has to go up. Uh, rate and volume. Uh, your, your nervous system has to get more adept at dilating or constricting blood vessels. Um, the mitochondria, the powerhouses of the muscles have to increase in number. And you get more uh, motor unit recruitment. For, so nerves will uh, be uh, adding more muscles to the job as, as you train them. It improves your heart rate, your resting heart rate, uh, your VO2 max, uh, and improves your insulin sensitivity, how, how the body is efficient in utilizing glycogen, the storage of energy in your muscle, and mobilizing fats. So... There's the U.S. recommendations, and the World Health Organizations are very similar, uh, and I liked their infographic, so I wanted to use their infographic. So as you can see right on the end for the guidelines, basically, you got to get off the couch, get, get up and moving. But uh, the big one here is for adults, 150 minutes per week of moderate activity, moderate level of activity. We'll go over the intensity of activity, but this was the one I wanted to show you in, is the fact that the US and these World Health Organization guidelines recommend 60 minutes per day for children under 18. So we've got to get our kids moving and moving more. And another big one that they show here is muscle strengthening activities two days per week and then if you're older, if you're say over 65, they recommend including balance activities, um, balance and agility activities to help reduce fall rates. The notice that the World Health Organization, the, the, their uh, saying was every move counts. And that was one of the big things that came out over, over time was, well, how long do I have to exercise? And but it's every move counts, everything, even short bouts of exercise help. 
Um, here, if for aerobic intensity, you can measure it through low, moderate, and vigorous. So with low, uh, less than three mets, you can talk and sing. You can talk and sing for low intensity. So such as stretching, uh, you know, doing walking around, housework. Moderate intensity, you can uh, talk but not sing. So uh, slow biking, uh, you know, some, you know, dance if it's not too vigorous, active home chores or gardening. gardening. So vigorous activities includes swimming, you know, doing aerobics, uh, jogging, fast cycling, and it's it's hard to carry on a conversation. Uh, you can you can't talk easily. Someone out of breath. Okay, so for strength intensity, you know, light, moderate, vigorous, near max. This is related to your percent of your one rep max. Now. There's lots of things on the line to help you figure out what your one rep max is. And it's based on uh, doing multiple reps. Uh, uh, for instance, you kind of figure out what your max for 12 reps, what's your what's your 12 rep max. And th that's gonna be about 70% of the weight that you could do for a one rep max. Uh, 10 reps would be about 75%. Okay. What your doctor should be doing for you is writing you an exercise prescription based on frequency, intensity, time, and type. Now, uh, an example here is five days a week for walking. It'd be five days a week, 30 minutes a day of moderate intensity. You can talk but not sing. So that's an example of a prescription for exercise. Remember, it's not about having time. It's about making time. Okay, there are lots of components of fitness and we need to be activating each one of these components. We need to be stressing each one of these. So now everyone knows about aerobic exercise, cardiovascular endurance, but for strength you've, or for muscles, you've got muscular strength and muscular endurance. And then there's flexibility and then body composition. Uh, so this is like fat percentage and this kind of thing. But one that's, not thought about as much are the skill-based components of fitness, agility, balance, coordination, speed, power, and reaction time. So an example that where you could kind of work out all of these is for Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, say work on an aerobics, whether it's running, jogging, swimming, cycling, uh, if you're doing some sort of dancing, you have more agility worked in there. For the two days a week of muscle strengthening, you can do uh, Tuesday and Thursday where you're actually doing weights or body weight activities and uh, include some flexibility training. So some stretches afterwards, stretches or balance training. Uh, and then you can do a, on Sunday, maybe you do a long exercise event where you're doing a, a sport where you're having more agility and power, where you're focusing on these uh, quick bursts, uh, but sustained effort. So this is kind of an example weekly, you know, doc, should I really exercise every day? Yes, you should be trying to exercise. I'm not saying injure yourself and, and, and going too hard, but uh, light activity every day. Okay, but doc, I've got injuries, I've got knee pain and this kind of thing. Well, that's true. A lot of my patients 
have various things that could be barriers, potential barriers to activity. And so you want to try to be doing what you can. You want to be looking for any way to uh, get yourself active uh, because it's literally medicine. Now there is a good resource, exercise is medicine. And it's a website, exercise is medicine. And you can go through the prescriptions for various medical problems such as cancer, chronic kidney disease, you click it and they have a whole weekly setup or what you should do. I mean, for instance, I mean, one of the things that was happening to me was I was starting to become, I was starting to have more pain, you know, more back pain and this and that when I wasn't being, when I didn't have a regular activity schedule. And so you should be listening to your body. Oh my gosh. I mean, pain should not be a reason to avoid exercise. Pain should be a signal to you. Oh my gosh. I need to start moving more so that I can help reduce and prevent the pain that I'm having. Okay. Chef AJ, you had asked me, why don't people exercise? So I brought up the pleasure trap, uh, you know, because exercise, you know, it hurts it, and, uh, you know, people, they don't make time and they make excuses and, you know, it just, it kind of um, negatively motivates them uh, and, so the pleasure trap is getting us uh, on the diet side, but it's also getting us on the exercise side. But, you know, you can have it work in your favor because once you start and you start enjoying exercise and you start feeling that you're meeting your goals and uh, feeling better and getting those endorphins, it could be triggering the seek pleasure part of the pleasure trap. So uh, maybe we can use the pleasure trap in our favor. Okay. One of the big things is to change your narrative. And, you know, I always say, well, I'm not a runner or I'm not a gym rat, um, but if you run, you're a runner. Uh, you, you need to change your, change your self-talk and your narrative. Uh, I'm a healthy person. I'm an athlete. My body's capable of amazing things. I'm strong. Challenges make me stronger. Every step counts. Consistency is key. I'm committed to my routine. Find joy in movement. Exercise a celebration of life, a path to vitality and joy. But doc, I'm too old or I'm too sick or, but hey, there we have role models. We have role models like Angela Fischetti who has really improved her osteoporosis. There are folks like Mike Fremont who started breaking records on long runs like marathons in his 80s, I, I, I had asked my patients to, who they recommended I, I, I highlight on this. And these are uh, some of the folks that they recommended. And Dr. and Chef AJ's had Angela Fischetti and Tim Kaufman on her show. Tim Kaufman had severe medical problems and turned them around with a plant-based diet and, and exercise. Do you know Mike Fremont? I don't know him personally. I've just seen him like on the Ritual podcast and, you know, he's, he's very inspirational. Okay. The, um, there are simple ways to be more active. This is called the non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT. Figure out ways to NEAT up your life, you know, like walking on a treadmill here when you're doing uh, your uh, work, your work on the computer. Uh, you know, taking the dog for a walk, you know, gardening, parking farther away from your, you know, grocery shopping, 
trying to, you know, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, looking for any ways that you kind of force yourself to get a little bit more active. Because remember, every step counts. Having fun, enjoying, dancing, uh, taking a walk after dinner. Okay, so this section we're going to talk about but doc, what if I'm really, when I'm really having problems, what if I'm having chest pain at rest and I have history of heart disease? So uh, let's talk about it. There's the idea of medical clearance, seeing your doctor and talking about it, letting them know how you're feeling. Uh, if you're currently sedentary and you're already having these symptoms, that's definitely a signal to, to see your doctor. Um, if, you're, if you have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, or kidney problems, and you're exercising, you're not having symptoms, then the only reason to see your doctor would be if you're if you're planning on some large event like a Spartan race or an Ironman competition where you're going to really increase your uh, your activity. But uh, but certainly continue your current level of activity. Some quick screening questions for, for those just to kind of see would be a good idea to see your doctor is, can you walk 10 minutes without pain, chest pain or shortness of breath, or can you climb two flights of stairs without stopping? Common sense approach is uh, start low and go slow. If you're, do, if, you're, if you're new to exercise, here's something I recommend. Definitely exercise with a partner. If, you, if you're having serious medical problems, and um, you have a chance of potentially having a heart attack, for instance, during exercise, you want to exercise with a partner so that if there was ever anything that would happen, that they could help get you um, assistance. And you could work out at an YMCA or at a gym, because many of these places have AEDs in case they uh, needed to rescue you. Um, Make sure you do a warm up and a cool down because this, you know, you don't want to shock your system, so to speak. Obviously, don't exercise if you're acutely sick. Um, and then avoid exercising in extreme heats and cold if you're if you're just starting out and you're not used to this. Believe it or not, the US Preventative Services Task Force recommends against medical clearance with EKGs and stress testing. So, but this seems to not make sense, you know, but what, what happens is that uh, it could get people to not exercise and the benefits of exercise are so great that uh, to have to encourage people not to exercise is problematic uh, and it could potentially do more harm than good especially if you're low risk if you're not if you don't have a lot of medical problems there's no need for medical clearance but if you are high risk the the study so far did not see benefits in the EKG and stress testing now that being said I'm still recommending being seen or talking to your doctor, at least discussing it, because if you have, you know, chest pain and these kind of things, you it, there could be things we can manage. We could manage your blood pressure. We could check to see if you're having arrhythmias or try to figure out the cause and 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 and, and try to fi fix this or take care of it so that you can have much safer exercise. Uh, one way when people have significant cardiovascular problems is to get a prescription for cardiac rehab, where basically when you exercise, they're monitoring you and they have a very steady progression to, to help you have a very um, rational, logical progression that's monitored. Once again, gradually increase your exercise over time. If you're new to it, 
Uh, definitely include a warm up and a cool down, so don't shock your system. Brisk walking is a great place to start. Okay, so now I'm gonna shift gears over to falls prevention. And this is almost like my osteoporosis talk part two, because I had really focused on uh, bone mineral density and I really should have also been talking about falls prevention, falls prevention. So when looking at studies for falls prevention, one of the most important aspects of activity is this balance and functional training. Now, balance and functional training plus resistance training had the most benefit in falls prevention. But uh, balance and functional training was uh, clearly with high certainty beneficial. Now, they did study Tai Chi and they also studied dance and walking and resistance only, and they didn't have as good statistical significance as uh, the balance and functional training plus resistance. So here is one of those survival plots. So one of those survival plots. So this was one of the studies that they did. This was where they uh, had people train with uh, balance and jumping and agility training and resistance for three times per week, uh, moderate high intensity for 12 months, and then they followed the people for a, five years. And then they checked the survival and the falls rate. So uh, with the balance jumping training plus resistance, they had 62% less falls, 74% less fractures. And so what's interesting is you can see the yellow line up at the top is the combined training and the control group was at the very bottom and the resistance training alone was very similar to the control group. So uh, it was key to have both balance and the resistance training. So what is balance training? Well, it's uh, it's standing on one leg, walking heel to toe. Uh, you know, you can have someone kind of uh, support you and then you can do things with the eyes closed and do coordinated efforts. There's wobble boards and these types of things. Um, agility and kind of functional training exercises include kind of doing activities of daily living, like re you know doing reaches and and uh, supporting yourself. I've seen where people will have these obstacles where you step over the obstacle and back and forth, uh, or hopping from one foot to the other. Uh, and then resistance moves. We talked about this on my last uh, talk, uh, osteoporosis, about trying to get high intensity, smaller reps to uh, incre increase your muscular strength. So this is from the Exercises Medicine. Remember I told you that this was a great resource. Uh, they can give you um, advice uh, on exact programs for your exact medical problem. Uh, such as here, this, this talks about balance training. Uh, and other programs that are really good are uh, Silver Sneakers. This is a program that accepts insurance and it has uh, these combined activities. So combined aerobics, strength, and balance. Other measures to prevent falls. The big one when studied was vision correction. So uh, vision is problematic if you're, you know, you can't see or you're having blurred vision, you could trip, your coordination will be, be affected. Uh, modify the home, 
Big one is in the shower, kind of make sure there's non-slip mat in the shower bathtub and there's grab bars that you can grip on to make sure that the house is free of clutter and things you could trip on like throw rugs and watch out for walking in the ice or inclement weather. And then other one is leashed dogs. If you have a, a dog that's can, can overpower you, can pull, it can, it's known to, you know, bring people down on the fall. So have to be careful with that. If you get, you'll be impressed with yourself. You will be so impressed. If you start your exercise today and have a progression and keep getting more and more, what seems impossible today will one day become your warm up. Believe it or not. So, once again, we want you to get moving today. The best exercise is the one you will do. Add a variety. Remember those components of fitness like agility, balance, uh, and flexibility, and your longevity depends on it. Remember, I'm Dr. Scott Harrington at Vegan Primary Care. Once again, I'm announcing uh, the six-week health transformation class. You can go to Vegan Primary Care at weight uh, slash weight loss. And I am ready for your questions. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Harrington. You know, I, I've heard what one of the things you said in the talk, and I hear this from other doctors and other places, that exercise is so good for like cancer and Alzheimer's. Is it only good to prevent it? Or is it even good once the people are diagnosed with it? And, and, and what is the mechanism by which it helps certain diseases? Right. Well, we do know that uh, like Dean Ornish, Dean Ornish showed us about the telomeres. You know, he, he proved that the telomere thing, um, uh, it was also in science, but uh, he is, he's also working on the Alzheimer's treatment with a plant-based diet and he's including exercise as well. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to see a, a treatment effect. Now, so the studies that I had mentioned were about a preventative effect. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how exercise plays a role in, in, uh, dementia, uh, treatment, but I know with Parkinson's, it's a big deal because with Parkinson's, you have the um, cogwheel rigidity and you have, uh, you know, you become kind of limited in your motions. And so exercise becomes a huge part of the rehab for Parkinson's. Um, as for cancer, you know, the exercise does play a role in immune immunity. And, and so that's my assume that's the way it's, it's related to cancer but also the idea of uh, blood flow. I, you know, you assume that if you've got good blood flow and you have the ability to get to the, um, the immune system to get there to the cancer. So I, I, don't, I don't have the, the perfect answer for this, but we know clinically that, that it seems to have a big effect on cancer as well. So, you know, there's been people who've had cancer and then they start exercise programs and then their cancer was cured. I'm not saying that is that is what you should rely on 100%, but you should be using every uh, faculty that you can to help fight it off, so to prevent and treat. Great, thank you. So we do always get questions submitted in advance, but they're not always on the exact topic that you talked about. Is that okay? Of course. 
All right. Well, just want to be sure. First one is from Victoria. How are omega-3s checked? I asked my doctor to check it in my next blood work up and was told there isn't a specific test for omega-3s. The lipid profile would be evaluated. Diets high in omega-3s can increase HDL and decrease LDL. Would you explain? Uh, isn't it just called a fatty acid profile, the test for omega-3s that you order? Yeah, well, there, there's some third-party tests, uh, but the biggest the biggest lab uh, testing organizations in the States are Quest and LabCorp. Uh, Quest and LabCorp both have, uh, Quest definitely has the Omega Index and the Omega Index. And then I believe LabCorp has um, an Omega-3 or a fatty acid profile. And one of the things is if you get one test versus another test, it's a little bit like apples to oranges because one is a serum test and one is a membrane test. So the omega-3 index is a membrane test and uh, how much makes it into the uh, red blood cell membrane. So my main recommendation with this is if you want to do the omega-3 index, you got to get it through Quest or another third party that does the index. Uh, get it from the same place that you get uh, at, over time if you're trying to do a, a treatment experiment by taking uh, omega-3 and then following up. So you want to get it in the same place. Yeah. Do you think that the test that the phlebotomist do does is better than the home self-stick finger that some people do in order? I, I assume, you know, I mean, there was a, a kind of the the thing with Theranos that one, that one, you know, get it just from a drop of blood and it kind of, you know, I kind of didn't believe it as well. But um, uh, right now they, they claim that they have, the, these third parties claim that, uh, that their smaller test is equivalent. And I think with the index, because they're looking at the um, membrane, it, it probably all you do need is a, is a drop of blood. Interesting. I don't, if you, if you don't know this one, it's okay. It's kind of specific about stevia from Judy. Do you know anything about the impact that it has on the gut, the GI system, especially for someone with mixed IBS? I heard from hosting a summit of 40 GI doctors that it was very unfavorable, but I'm not a doctor. So. And we're talking about stevia. Stevia, right. Stevia. I, I don't recommend the uh, various um, sugar substitutes. Uh, just in case there's a microbiome problem, uh, I I recommend trying to get your sweeteners from you know Whole Foods or you know dates or date sugar. I don't I don't I don't recommend dates if they're triggering for people, but I recommend I don't recommend doing super normal sweetening with the fake sweeteners because if it's if your body's perceiving it to be sweet, then it's a super normal stimuli and it ends up being problematic for you because then things that aren't sweetened seem, they seem, so you want to get used to things being a little more subtle. And that's the main reason I, I do, I am concerned a little bit about the microbiome related to stevia, but the main thing I'm worried about is the uh, triggering component and making normal foods seem less, uh, less uh, sweet. You know, while you were talking, I Googled the National Institute of Health and the, this place where you can Google, like look up the actual medical literature. And there are at least four studies right now that in, in anyone can Google this, that stemia is harmful for the gut microbiome. 
and it disrupts the communication system between the gut microbiome and the rest of the body. And so um, this is just, a, a, you, you just Google this and it, it, there's medical research that lay people can look up if she's more interested in finding these. I love it. I love it. Man, yeah. Chef AJ, I need you on my team. Okay. <laughs> Great. All right. So thank you. And this is from Barbara. Dr. Harrington, my fingernails have gotten soft and brittle with white marks since becoming vegan. What can I do? Take supplements? Yeah. I mean, there. I guess deficiency can be a concern. I have vegans who are kind of low in iron where they are iron deficient, but not anemic. And we've talked about this, you know, I have the kids, I just need the kids fed and I don't care how much is in the cupboard, how much food, this is the iron storage marker ferritin. If we find, if you had brittle nails and we tested and we found that your, your ferritin was kind of on the low end, we might try to do a iron supplement every other day. Um, some of the, the nail lines are from um, damage where, you know, you have a, something bumps your nail and then you have a, an aberration there uh, from the from the cells that lay down the nail nails, uh, but it will kind of go away as it um, as the nail comes out. But um, brittle nails and kind of hair loss complaints. That's one of the first things we test is is iron with through ferritin is iron storage. We check thyroid. Some of the other ones that are kind of tough with vegans is you, you worry about zinc and selenium. The problem is that these are problematic because doing too much zinc or too much selenium could cause problems. And the testing is problematic to know whether it's actually uh, accurate. So when people have concerns about this, whether they're getting enough nutrients, of course, I always recommend the chronometer where you buckle down and do one to two days of a, a, new, a food log and it'll give you your micronutrients and let you know if you're getting uh, your the RDAs of, of the various micronutrients. One that will always show that you're very low is calcium. I recommend setting that one at 750. Nice, thank you. This is about kidney disease. And the question from Kathy is, I know that people with chronic kidney disease who are not on dialysis need to limit their protein consumption, but what about people without kidney disease? Does excessive protein contribute to kidney disease? And does it matter if it is from a plant or an animal? Great question. Yes. And yes, I, one, I've had patients who were really into forcing the proteins and causing themselves to have high blood pressure because uh, the kidney has to deal with the excreting some protein. Uh, it, it's called, it's called hyperfiltration. So it's kind of running your uh, filter hard, so to speak. One of the big problems that I see is that people use their weight instead of a lean body mass to make the calculations for their uh, protein requirements. So They'll say like 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, but you should probably use 0.8 grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Uh, there is an ideal body weight calculator, which is basically like this lean body mass, which um, you can look up. It's pretty easy and it's based on your height. And so um, that, that's what I recommend 0.8 grams. 
And people with kidney disease, the literature says to do 0.6 grams for, uh, and this is kind of a max, this is a max level. So you don't need to go over this number. Uh, but I've heard lots of people talk about, you know, maybe we need one, maybe we need more. Uh, it, it's uh, every time I go back and look at the literature, this is what, what ends up falling on the 0.8. So animal products, I believe are, are more problematic, but um, you know, I don't recommend people be taking additional protein supplements like protein powder, try to get your, try to get your protein from whole food sources like beans, uh, beans, greens, and grains, and uh, don't get it from a powder. Just like don't get your uh, fats from oil and uh, don't get your sugar from, or don't get your carbs from sugar. Absolutely. There's a, also a question about do, what do you recommend for a minimum amount of protein for women and for bone health? Once again, yeah, 0 0.8 grams per kilogram of, uh, of the lean body mass is, is what I tell people to shoot for. I mean, it's safe if you're going slightly over. Um, it's safe if you're slightly under because, you know, the body, it's not, you know, one day you drop dead because you didn't get enough of that protein. Um, the body's amazing. The body has, uh, you know, the body's sloughing off cells in the gut all the time and then re, you know, digesting them. And so there's somewhat of you know body's very lenient with various amino acids and, and so um just the body's very forgiving great this is from gene and what do you recommend because we we're talking about exercise today for someone who is 81 with sarcopenia and severe kypho kyphosis and scoliosis from multiple compression fractures due to osteoporosis, hasn't taken any of the medications for it. Goal is to reduce pain and future fra fractures as well as deal with impaired lung function. That's kind of, sounds serious. Yeah, that is very serious. And so, I mean, for, first and foremost, it can be, it can seem kind of like you have the world against you when you have these various problems. However, you're not competing against other people. You're only competing against yourself. So, um, you know, it's important to stay active. It's important to eat, you know, 0 0.8 grams per kilogram of, of your uh, lean body mass. It, as you get older, it can actually, it can be hard to kind of uh, feel like you want to eat, hard to have an appetite in there. So you kind of have to force yourself to have meals uh, I know that sounds kind of, um, that sounds like, is that really a problem? But many of my older patients complain that they just don't have a strong appetite. Uh, so you, so one is making sure you're getting the nutrients that you need to match your output, uh, for your exercise. Uh, Cause I, you, you don't want to be losing weight. You want to be, you know, stable or, you know, just slightly gaining weight, especially if you're very low weight. Um, and, uh, so Trying to do actually finding you got to get creative. I recommend if you're in this setting is to get a personal trainer, someone who is uh, focused on um, geriatric population uh, because they have a they have a different focus, different training, uh, and and uh, so th this is it's important to have help and uh, to get guidance. And then there's always things like you know pool exercises where, you know, you're not having so much impact. Um, 
but you want to move the more you move generally the the better you feel uh especially on these low impact activities but just getting yourself out and about and matching your uh, your energy expenditures with uh, enough calories Great, thank you. I thought I saw another question. Well, while I'm looking for it, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, we always have a big sort of almost kind of family reunion. My wife has uh, three sisters, and so it's everyone gets together. Uh, in the extended family, there's folks who are not 100% uh, vegan, but I'm slowly but surely converting everybody, luckily. So um, we always make uh, mashed potatoes. Uh, we do a vegan pumpkin pie. We do, um, you know, various uh, like the, the, the roasted vegetables. And when we do that and we bring it, bring it to the, uh, the big Thanksgiving meal. Oh, so, okay, nice. That's good. Have you had any luck converting anyone? Heck yeah. You know, slowly but surely we've got the, sister-in-law, two sister-in-laws. We've got uh, the mother, we've got the mother-in-law. We have, we have, uh, I've slow, you know, God bless them because, you know, I'm sure it was, it, it was uh, probably frustrating, you know, dealing with me, but um, they're seeing the light and they're, they're slowly converting. And uh, my goal is hundred percent, of course. That's so cool. Good luck with that. Thank you. This is from Susan. My doctor wants me to begin taking Crestor due to high cholesterol. My current cholesterol is, well, it says HDL 100, calculated LDL 154, total 291, triglycerides 184. I'm 67. I've been vegetarian for 46 years, mostly vegan except for cheese for the last couple of years. I'm now going whole food, plant-based, SOS-free for good. I recently heard Dr. Esselson say taking a half a teaspoon of omelet powder per day can help bring cholesterol down. Can it help? And are there any problems with taking it? So can she just do the omelet or should she go on Crestor or do both? Well, it, it seems like none of my patients want to ever go on statin medications, uh, mainly because of the sort of notoriety of statins causing people to have uh, muscle aches, or uh, people are concerned that uh, that has a slight risk over time of in worsening your uh, insulin sensitivity and causing you to be diabetic. Um, however, I mean, overall, these risks are pretty low. And, and statins are one of the most studied medications out there. And they are pretty powerful for reducing the cholesterol. That being said, once again, none of my patients want to go on this. So we use supplements as a way to sort of experiment and see if we can get it down. I think Amla is definitely a, a supplement. One that seems reasonable because it's it's just uh, dried and ground up uh, Indian gooseberry. So that that's kind of nice. It's just a plant, uh, and it's in and it's basically whole form. It's just ground up. So that's that's kind of palatable in, in, in that way. I mean, not, it's not palatable. It's very tangy. So I, I recommend it, using it in capsules. Uh, so uh, studies were on 500 milligrams, but you can do up to 1500 milligrams of the, of the powder uh, with food and see if they can improve your uh, cholesterol. So with amla powder, amla powder's mechanism of action is to block reabsorption of the cholesterol or the bile that's put out by the liver. So as to block this reabsorption and oats and uh, various 
soluble fibers do this as well. So things like psyllium and things like um, ground flax, stuff like you know chia, it has this a uh, minor effect on this. So you're going to get only a mild benefit from amla is just what I've experienced with my patients. And the other one is berberine, berberine extract. And this works on the production side in the liver. And so this is another supplement that you can try. And with my patients, I work with them. We try to do experiments with cholesterol. If you're already doing a great plant-based diet that's low in saturated fat, high in fiber, and you're still, your body's producing a ton of cholesterol and you want to get your wrists down, you can try this. Now, Lately, I've been telling people about this additional test, and I heard about this from Thomas Dayspring, who's a lipidologist, and this is the uh, Cholesterol DX from the company Empower DX, and there's also a Boston Dynamics also has a, has a similar test, and this, this goes over cholesterol precursors, cholesterol precursors to try to tell if you are a hyperproducer or hyperabsorber, and it, it will give you, you can order a... a a test just straight from the company in PowerDX, you order cholesterol DX, it's $99. And, and you can try to determine uh, what supplement or medication would be most effective. If you're a hyper producer, then things like the berberine or statins uh, would help to decrease production. And if you're a hyper absorber, things like Amla powder or um, Zetia, Zetia is a, is a medicine that works at the brush border to decrease absorption. So this is what we, we kind of go up through this experiment with, with my patients and we work together to try to uh, do it without um, medications if possible. But that being said, that whole long thing being said, if you are producing a lot of cholesterol and you can't get it down with these methods, you should consider uh, medications if needed. It's interesting you say that your patients don't come to you to be put on medicine. And that would make sense because if they want to be on medicine, they can go to anybody. That's true. That's yeah. true. I'm so I'm happy to I'm happy to work on these experiments uh, to, um, you know, help them help them along. This is uh, I really enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, Carol says, will an anti-inflammatory or plant-based diet help with a genetic condition some people are born with called NF1? I Googled it because I never heard of it but you probably know what it is. NF1. Want me to tell you what it is? What it's Yeah, tell me what it is. Neurofibromatosis, yeah. Neurofibromatosis, Recklin-Hausen disease, genetic disorder, coffee spots, scoliosis, vision problems, benign tumors under the skin. You know what I always say, Dr. Harrington, even if it wouldn't help, why still wouldn't you do it? Because going on the standard American diet or the carnivore diet or the keto diet, it's definitely not going to help, but it right. will help everything else in your life. So, you know, it, that that's what I always find that that an interesting question when people ask if it's going to help their specific condition. So does that mean if the answer is no, you're not going to, you're just going to keep eating crap? <laughs> right, right. So I don't have any patients with, uh, with severe neurofibromatosis. However, uh, just like you said, Chef AJ, uh, you know, people with neurofibromatosis can still have cancer and they can still have cardiovascular disease. And, you know, the plant-based diet puts your best foot forward for, for all of these things. And so you're going to feel best on a plant-based diet. And uh, I haven't seen, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's a genetic thing. So you're not going to like reverse uh, or, uh, you know, cure your neurofibromatosis. 
Um, but um, it certainly couldn't hurt and it would probably help significantly. Great. Thank you, Dr. Harrington. Always fun talking to you. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, Chef AJ. And uh, uh, thanks once again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Great. We'll see you before Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. See you then. Take care. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time. My guest is Drina Burton. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.